This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Hello, hello, my Let's Keep It Real people. I've been excited about this one for a while. Not that I don't love all my guests, but he's also a friend and a mentor of mine. So let me tell you a little bit about him before I bring him on. Today's awesome and inspiring guest is the incredible Arthur Theodis Matthews. Arthur is a playmaker, a disruptor, a transformationalist, and a lifelong learner. Amen to that. His leadership footprint and journey has transcended generations and multiple dimensions of diversity. He is a professor who lectures at NYU, Cornell University, and other institutions. He's also an entrepreneur, a conflict maestro, which I love, leadership orchestrator, and recovering lawyer. Hi, Arthur. How are you? Hey, Sandy Joe Weston. How are you? <laughs> you know, I read that it's just making me smile because of all my friends and my husbands that, you know, are a lawyer recovering. I think most of them would say the same thing. <laughs> well, it's a good lane to be in, and it's just an honor to be on this podcast with uh, Sandy Joe Weston. I'm a F-O-S-J-W. You know what that is. Friend of Sandy Joe Weston. No, oh. I don't. <laughs> I, I just made it up. F-O-S-J-W. Friend Where- of. Where are we going with that, you know? <laughs> well, that just means that we've shared real estate together. We respect each other's yeah. leadership footprint. Yeah. And we're here to really increase the capabilities of touching the lives of other people. And I think that's what we both do. Although Absolutely. we do it in different disciplines, I think we have the same level of passion. Yeah, and there's, and there's a lot of crossover. So we're going to talk a lot today about your journey and your life. But before we do that, I always start in with the number one question, because I have people email me before my guest comes on. Sure. What, what do they need to know? And one of the first questions I have, is, okay. it's funny, it's about the environment today. They said, forget about my coworkers. What do you think of the political environment going on? Do you feel as if people get along? And is there any conflict that you could help them with without getting into Democrat or Republican? I thought that was a funny question. No, it is. It is a good question. Well, first and foremost, I had the, the pleasure and honor when I was in law school at Howard University School of Law. And I was there this weekend, actually oh. having the privilege to teach at my alma mater. And it was a decision I made, a very intentional, deliberate decision, Sandy, uh, back in the 1980s that I would eradicate, purge, sanitize, obliterate, annihilate, and eviscerate well, uh, the, the P word. And the P word, I don't use it in the sentence, but I'll use a famous line, Houston, we have a blank. And everybody <laughs> that's on the podcast knows what that word is. Yes. So in its place, uh, and I'm, I'm willing to share this on this podcast, but just letting your listeners know and your supporters, uh, it is copywritten, uh, but they can absolutely use it as long as they give proper attribution. Yeah. And I think with the toxic uh, environment that we're in, whether it's the workplace, our communities, I think everything's uh, S-T-R-A-S, and I'll spell it STRAS, S-T-R-A-S. And for me, uh, it means a situation that requires a solution. Uh, I find that in terms of leadership, Sometimes when we use the P word, it just sits there and suspend an animation. 
it causes anxiety, it causes stress. You know, I teach my yeah. clients, I teach my students, my peers, my comrades, uh, my cohorts. Uh, I have a different frame altogether. So yeah. for me, in the entire Matthews household, uh, even my grandson, who's 16, my oldest grandson, uh, he doesn't use the P word. He uses a situation that requires a solution. It requires <laughs> that we take action. I love that. Thank you. Thank you yeah. so much. So yeah. I think, you know, there's always going to be conflict. Uh, as we know, if, if yeah. your listeners are hearing this, they know that uh, they, they experience conflict. The average leader in the workplace deals with conflict 25% of their day, mm -hmm. uh, which is a lot of time. That's two hours in their day. Uh, we don't always have to be personalized with our conflict. We can have another authorism, which is an extension of my first name. It's called respectful contrary. Uh, you know, I think that's a higher level than agree to disagree. As long as we are oh. respectful in the way that we look at things, okay. uh, I think it's a it's a good thing to have conflict sometimes because it doesn't always have to be combative and confrontational and acrimonious and create a calamity of, of bad proportions. Yeah, so people always say, you know, hey, we're, we're going to have to agree to disagree, and I'm, a, yeah, I'm okay I with think that. That's but, so cliche, yeah. Sandy. I, I think. A lot of people say that, and they're saying it in the fumes from their glutamus maximus, you know, or in your face as they walk away from you. Yeah, I think that's yeah. many ways very disingenuous, and that's just my perspective. Mm -hmm. So I think respectful contrary is a higher level gotcha. than agree to disagree. That's just yeah. my, my No, lens. I like that. Yeah, I like that. So what do you do when you go into a situation? What's the first thing you do? And you are people screaming sometimes at each other? They are. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons why that might happen. It might be based on uh, personality differences. It could mm -hmm. be based on race, color, creed, national origin, sexual orientation, transgender status, any dimension of diversity. It could be that two people are from two different sides of the railroad tracks. Yeah. And today, you know, you, you see that still happening. But what's happened over the last 20 or 30 years is that a lot of companies, organizations, labor unions, not-for-profits, they have zero tolerance policies now for, yeah. you know, violence in the workplace. And violence in the workplace years ago was interpreted to mean somebody's putting their hands on you. And back in the 70s and 80s, when I started my career, you know, it was very customary that, hey, listen, you say something about me, we're screaming and yelling. I'll meet you at 4 o'clock in the parking lot. And the person <laughs> would say, fine. Right, Sandy? And then there would be a fair fight. But today, yeah. there's yeah. zero tolerance for violence. So... Not only can't you put your hands on people, because yeah. you'll oh, be no. arrested and prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, but uh, you just you can't scream and yell. You can't create a bullying environment in a workplace because there are now policies that address that. So there will be repercussions for your actions if you do that. Yeah. But, I mean, what about um, upper management? Do they still do that or no? They don't. There's no way they could yell at each other in a Yeah, private. they do. They do. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, they do it in the C-suite and nobody hears about it. But sometimes it happens and it trickles down to middle management and it trickles down uh, to the shop floor. And, and folks hear about it. It's not healthy when it happens. And sometimes what level it's on, whether it's a C-suite, whether it's in the boardrooms, uh, whether it's between two workers on the shop floor and the break room, Sometimes you need a third party called a mediator that can yeah. come in and try to yeah. help resolve those conflicts if they become particularly egregious and diametrically opposed. Yeah, which is needed. Isn't that's not what you do? 
It's part of what I do, absolutely. Yeah. And actually, my partner, Evelyn Zakia Matthews, and I, uh, that's kind of our sweet spot. We love training mediators. We have been mediators and arbitrators for a good part of our career. Mm. Uh, she's a former police officer. Of course, I'm a recovering lawyer. And yeah, we got that. And started my career at the uh, Queens District Attorney's Office as a prosecutor. So we've seen a lot in terms of conflict. And yeah. we also, you know, she grew up in a household with eight brothers and sisters. Mm. Me, it was just, you know, me and my sister. I lost her pretty early on. She mm. was 23 when she passed away. But, Aww. you know, some of the values of resolving conflict, I learned from just really watching uh, my mother and my two grandmothers and, and my sister. They were my four sheroes. And just the oh. way that they put um, their sense of respect and civility uh, to the way they handle situations. And two of them were nurses and one worked for the city of New York. Oh. So, you know, they had tough jobs. Yeah, that's that's interesting. It is. It but is. you said you respect, you watch it the way they were communicating, and you learned a lot from them. That's a yeah, lot to be said. Just the conversations they would have, you know, when they would come home and I would be around them. And, and, you know, I always had this sense of just mindfulness about the levels of conflict, especially when they were dealing with, you know, the most important asset in an organization. In the case of my mother and grandmother, they were dealing with patients, and then with my other grandmother, she was dealing with city workers. Oh, yeah. Uh, so these were environments where oftentimes the employees were marginalized, but even, you know, because of those tough conditions, they would sometimes have those conflicts, not necessarily with each other, but they would often have conflicts with supervision or with management. And so I've always been in a household where, you know, it was important. I mean, a couple of members of my family were members of 1199, and uh, my, my grandmother was a member of DC-37, so they were union members, and so oh, okay. they understood the power of just the numbers, their strength, and making sure that we really coalesce together to try to get things accomplished together. So uh, that leads me to my second question. What if you do not even have a boss that yells at you, but someone was saying, um, I guess we should even explain it, that they're passive-aggressive? Like, how do you deal with that? The one person said, you know, I can deal if someone's straightforward, but I have a passive aggressive boss. Maybe you should even explain to people what that means, because I'm not even sure what she means. Well, you know, I think here's my thoughts about it. People are passive aggressive either because they're worried that way or because they're very intentional and deliberate about being passive aggressive. And what I try to teach my clients and my my associates, uh, my, my peers, my students, is, you know, there are professional derailers out there. You know, they spend a good part of their day of thinking of making your day miserable. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm just really? as oh, candid my... as I can be. Yeah. Uh, and so I always say you've got to starve the disruptors. People that are disruptors and derailers, they have to eat. And, you know, what they do is everything in their path becomes roadkill for them. And they are actually very joyful uh, no pun intended, Joy, Sandy yeah. Joy. They I are very it. joyful when, you know, they can make you miserable and they can bait you into a confrontation. And for them, it's a victory being passive aggressive because that means they have successfully emotionally hijacked you. I don't get that. That just I, That's so far for me to even fathom. I, I think, well, they just didn't mean it. Like, you oh. know what I mean? Or they're not intentional. But look, when you're saying that there's people out there that, hey, that makes their day, that just blows my mind. Right, and it's true. And there are just, and I'm, I'm just going to say this as candidly as I can, there are folks out there that are just evil people. 
Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, their, their excitement and their exhilaration is making you feel miserable. Listen, I tell people all the time, uh, Sandy Joe, uh, Sandy Joy, I tell them all the time, listen, uh, there are 1,440 minutes in every day. And if they can utilize all of that time to make you miserable, they'll do it. So what do you do in that situation? Well, you don't, you don't take the bait. You, you, you take the high road. It's less traffic up there. You decompress. You defuse, de-escalate, disarm, and deflect. And you essentially say to yourself, I know exactly what they're doing, and I'm not going to take the bait. And so you don't engage them or you engage them in a way where you're not being responsive to what they're trying to throw at you. Yeah. You know, so it's Or can you get a new job if it's that bad? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you just have to create a framework for yourself that helps you sleep well at night. Because what they're trying to do is not make you sleep well at night. And so you just can't really fall into that because it becomes a real difficult situation for you. Uh, And you just don't engage them. And you try to find allies that can help you. Yeah. Because usually when these kind of behaviors are happening, that person is not just doing it to one person. But they take they take a lot of excitement and joy of doing it to a multitude of people. So, how many of those people have you encountered in your life, Arthur? You said how many? Yeah, like is it a, like percentage? Like, do you think it's a large percentage? Because I know what area you deal with. Well, I mean, of course, my journey has taken me from the South Bronx of New York to Far Rockaway, Queens, where we met. I met my. My buddy that introduced us, Danny Schneider, and Danny. Yeah, that, that's our guy, right? We love yeah. Dan. I'm love a FOD, Dan. a friend of Dan, and so are you, my sister. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, just traveling throughout where I go. I mean, the work that I've done over the years as a mediator, arbitrator, facilitator. I mean, sometimes that's eighty percent of what we do. Yeah, what that's what I was love, thinking. Yeah, what we love to do actually is there are like some core areas that we do where we try to be proactive. Uh, and that's where we do training and engagement. We call it entertainment. Yeah. Uh, because uh, our style is very different. You know, I like using metaphors and anecdotes and quotations and authorisms. Yeah. And my business partner is theatrical. She's a thespian. Yeah. Uh, she loves extemporaneous expression, where we use tap outs and simulations. So the worst thing you can do is go to a training program, Sandy, and uh, you walk in and the facilitator says, okay, let's turn to page one of the workbook. And then it becomes death by PowerPoint. I mean, that's worse than uh, a root canal. Yeah. yeah it's, it's worse than that. Right. So, yeah. you know, the areas we specialize in are diversity, inclusion, implicit bias, and equity. We do, of course, the number two would be leadership. Number three, organizational change. Number four would be conflict resolution, which includes, you know, mediation, facilitation, et cetera. And I would say number six is areas like sexual harassment awareness or bullying yeah. awareness and areas like that. All the issues that really are trending in the workplace today that really makes a difference <laughs> for people. Yes. Ay, 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 trending. So can you spot Arthur like right away when you within a, how many minutes does it take for you to go, oh, like, can you tell a person's personality when you said, yeah, they're out? Like they're just evil. They just want to make people unhappy. Can you spot it or does it take time? I think for me, uh, it's really intuitive for me because, you know, first of all, I'm 62 years young. So I've seen a lot in my lifetime and growing up in the neighborhoods I've grown up in. 
But, you know, one of the things that makes it helpful to me is that even when I notice it, the person will never know I notice it because yeah, yeah. I internalize, okay, what page in my playbook do I need to use to deal with this individual? Uh, it's almost like a chess match. Okay. Like poker. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, part of it is just understanding uh, that there's an opportunity always, and I always say this, and this is something that Indira Gandhi said, you cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. And so oh. every person that I meet, I try to engage them uh, and give them the benefit of the doubt of yeah. civility and respect. I mean, that is how I was raised. That's why I continue to, uh, to teach my grandson. And now I have a young grandson who just made one year young. So I'm going to be teaching and instilling those values as well. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, Evelyn and I talk about these things because, you know, we both grew up kind of in a way where there was a lot of conscious objectors, uh, which were good in so many ways with Malcolm and Martin. And, of course, John F. Kennedy and Marcus Garvey were big influences on us. But then we also had those folks who were not well-intentioned, who were sometimes circulating around and still to this day, uh, they want to drag you down and, and continue to make sure that uh, you are marginalized. And so you just have to know how to deal with those individuals. And you've had, like you said, you know, it's not, it's not, you've had a lot of practice at it, but it's also from your family and where you grew up, you know, and through the years, the wisdom has come, Arthur, you know, there's something to be said about age, you know? It you does. Know? It does. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing for me, Sandy, I mean, I have no choice. I mean, I firmly believe that I'm a playmaker and servant leader. Uh, my main goal is to put people around me in position to make plays. So I will always practice the highest level of civility and respect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've taught thousands and thousands of students over the years at institutions such as NYU and Cornell and University of Arkansas and most recently Howard University School of Law, Harvard University, the Clinton School of Public Service. Yeah, it's all good. I mean, yeah, it's I, all I mean, good. That's all fun. It is fun. It is fun. And I always say, if you have a passion for what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Yep, and I, I agree. I firmly believe that, and, and my passion has always been uh, teaching, and, yeah, and, and also learning. As you said from your introduction to me, and thank you so much for that. I'm a lifelong learner. I mean, yeah. right before I got on the phone with you, I was on a conference call, a Zoom session with my colleagues at NYU, where we were talking about technology in the classroom and engaging students because again i'm a lifelong learner and i want yep. to always be better although i've been doing it for over 32 years no you could uh, that's what i say to people when they go into a meeting and they're like but i've heard that before i'm like how do you know like you never if you come away with one pearl of wisdom it's worth it you know and give them a shot no matter what their age young or old i can't even imagine not wanting to seek more knowledge about what I do, Arthur. You know, I always feel like I learn something new every single day, at least one new thing. Well, and here's, that makes you unique, Sandy, because there's a lot of folks that are our peers and folks across generations who would never, who were in a position of, like we are, you and I are both entrepreneurs and trainers and facilitators. They would never step foot back in the classroom again. And I just think those folks are elitist and they think they know everything. Yeah, that's, that's, that's silly. Silly, silly people. But, you know, when you were saying, I was looking at some of the points, and I want to bring this one up. You know, you're saying you should be a lifelong learner and self-reflection. I think that self-reflection is an important one. You have to be able it to is. look at it, yourself, it you know? And, and what's, what's really kind of funky about that 
is that, and my students kind of tease me about it because I always talk about it. I encourage folks all the time to engage in a SWOT analysis, not SWAT. SWAT is Special Weapons and Tactics. Yep. I teach that too. Uh, but oh. <laughs> a SWOT analysis is looking at, and many people that have heard this concept only think about it through the lens and optics of internal and external because their line of business or their organization has done a SWOT analysis. I like using a SWOT analysis individually. That's how I engage in self-reflection. So I look at what are my strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Yeah. And I Ooh, do it threats. every day. Ooh, what I do you do with threats? I never heard every, that one. Every day. Well, the threats are there's some folks that you and I know that are in our orbit, I'm sure, that they might be outstanding leaders, understand their leadership footprint, be extraordinarily successful at what they do, but they're the ones at a cocktail party that will make a disparaging remark or tell a joke. Oh, okay. You know, so the threat is they're a self-inflicted wound. I mean, they're hemorrhaging from the mouth. And the threat is, despite how successful or how brandable they are as an individual, they just have this reputation for telling these jokes. And they think it's funny because the jokes they're telling, they claim are about every particular race or color or creed. And that's just one example of a threat. Gotcha. I, I gotcha. Yeah. You know, I, I think of this and I get slammed on the other end of it. And I guess I got to find sometimes a happy medium. I, when I meet people, they're way up high to me, you know? And so I always get told, I look at people or the world through rose colored glasses. Right. And, and, you know, as I grown older, I, I don't want to change that. I mean, I want to bring out the best and highlight the best. But sometimes in business, I have been shocked when people have done like not so nice things to me, Arthur. Like I didn't even, I can't even fathom it because, and I didn't even see it coming. Right. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I always have that, uh, how do I balance out wanting to see the best in people and thinking the best of people and wanting to bring out the best and yet protect myself? I don't know if you have any answers to that because, you know, even just but recently. I do. And here's the thing. Listen, my friend, and I, you know, you and I have shared real estate a couple of times and I so appreciate you. Uh, those roll colored glasses are a good look for you. That's a good optics because that's what makes Sandy Joy Weston who she is. At least with rose-colored glasses, you can see the different hues and tints. Uh, now, with people that wear black glasses, they can't see anything, you know. So at least the glasses you're wearing are, are light, uh, they're soft, and, you know, that's your optics, that's your lens. And guess what? Don't change that because mm -hmm. I am very much like you in that regard because that elevates the conversation. That okay. creates the gold standard. And, and again, that's why people enjoy who you are because you're so authentic. I talk about authentic leadership all the time and the five principles that Dr. Bill George articulates, your purpose, your heart, your values, your mm -hmm. self-discipline and relationships. I mean, that's who you are and that's who I am, authenticity. And if that's too complicated for folks, and sometimes it is, yeah. you know, it's just like your word is your bond, authentic meaning real, you know that I know if Sandy says something and Arthur says something, uh, they're going to do it and they're going to execute it. You don't Absolutely. need any extra. I mean, that's just who they are. That's it. Handshake. I'm done. Done. We're good. That's yeah. right. Exactly. I'm, I mean, I think there's times, Arthur, when I look back, I should have gotten the written paper because it's, it's bit me. You know what I mean? Because I thought the handshake was done. And I was taught by my mentors that you, if you do a handshake deal, 
And then afterwards, they, I don't know if you agree this, Ed Snyder, um, who was one of my big mentors, said this to me. If you do a handshake deal and then you go down to do the written part and they've changed it drastically, he said, run from the deal because that's showing their character. I don't know how you feel about that. Well, you know what? I feel the same way. I think in many ways, in terms of our leadership footprint, Sandy, and you and I chronologically are, are, are similar in terms of, you know, our appreciation for baby boomers. You know, one of the things, because I'm trained as a lawyer, I'm also a handshake type of guy, just like yeah. you're that type of gal. But I also understand paper trail. Yeah. And I also understand with clients, and you deal with them as well. You know, uh, years ago, and Evelyn taught me this. You know, I used to be just like you, handshake deals, and I'll show up, I'll do a keynote address. Yeah. Uh, and, and then somebody backs out. So now I require folks to give me a deposit. Yeah. That, ooh, that's smart. That's smart. Yeah, at least 10 to 25% because yeah. then they're more vested and they'll yeah. be reluctant to pull out. Yeah. So that's kind of been my business model for the last decade or so. We've been in business about 18 years where I'll secure a deposit from a client uh, and then, of course, the balance is due upon the execution of the engagement. Yeah. But, um, it, you know, it doesn't mean that you're not any more authentic. It just yeah, means, I trust it, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're just crossing your eyes, you're crossing your T's and dying your eyes, and you yeah. keep that paper trail in case there's an issue that comes up later yeah. on. Yeah. It's like um, one of my accountant friends said to me, Sandy, you can trust people, but you don't have to keep the lid off the cookie jar. When you keep the lid off the cooker, yeah, he said, Sandy Lipstein, he always said that to me. It's too tempting. Like, yeah, you can trust your employees, but you don't just sit there, hey, here's my checkbook lying out. You know what I mean? He goes, pretty much. Right. You put the lid on it and you don't give them any temptations or reasons to do stuff. I'm like, okay. He had a good point there. No, that makes sense. That makes all the sense in the world. So here's my third question for you. This is a big one. Okay. This person says, tell Arthur. I can't stop thinking about work. I dream about it. I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it. I find that I'm always talking about it outside of work, this poor guy. How can I cultivate a fun and exciting life outside of my job? Please help, Arthur. Well, you know, here's the thing. And and I always say this to folks. And I validate what this person is saying. And I talked about if you have a passion uh, for what you're doing, you'll never work a day in your life. So obviously this person's passionate about what they do. They just have to create more passions outside of work. Now, here's the thing. The two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you figure out why. Uh, I'll say that again. Yeah, I'm writing this down. Is the day you were born and the day you figure out why. Okay. So this person obviously is passionate about the lane that they're in. The question is, from the gold standard of negotiations, why give work an exclusive? I mean, I would, if I had to coach this person, I would say, listen, you are extraordinarily talented. Why are you giving all of your talents to this one portfolio? Ooh, I like that. Yeah. I mean, That's listen, a good one. Why don't you diversify your portfolio? I mean, think about, you know, the stock uh, and, and derivatives and, and all the things on Wall Street. You know, when we have investments uh, that we make, we don't put all our investments in one bank, you know, or all our investments yeah. in one portal. We try to diversify. And that's what this person should try to do. I like and that. I, I, that's a good yeah, answer. I think it will provide a strong ROI, return on investment for this individual, because they'll realize, you know what, 
I am talented. I am passionate about my work. But just imagine if they can transfer that passion. It's called transferable skills transferable to skills. another okay. arena. And just imagine how they can increase their brandability as a person, an holistic person, and a servant leader, which is a great concept, by the way, servant leadership. Yeah, I, I, that's a good that's a good way of saying it. Like, why would you give it all to them? Like, view other interests and build them up and take time to like it. I like it. And I think they're going to like that answer. By the way, guys, just to throw it out again, if you have any questions for Arthur or something you want, you know, clarified or we didn't get to, if you email me at podcast, I, I just started this by the way, Arthur. You know, it's podcast at sandyjoyweston dot com. We'll answer nice. questions or we can send them over to you. So it's podcast at sandyjoyweston.com. All right. So, Arthur, what what is this playbook you keep referring to, the conflict playbook? <laughs> right. I wanna, what is that? Well, I'm just writing down the email address that you just shared with me. Okay. So part of the playbook I've actually started sharing with you, Starve the Disruptors, understanding that the average leader deals with conflict 25% of their day, understanding they are professional derailers, understanding that there are five conflict styles, which is part of the playbook. Yeah. And I inherited this playbook, but I understand it because, you know, one thing about me is that I was fortunate during college and law school that I was a bouncer. So I understood early on, and part of this playbook is me understanding, am I going to avoid, accommodate, compete, compromise, or collaborate? Oh. And those are the five styles of managing conflict as articulated by Thomas and Kilman. They have this inventory, Sandy, that okay. folks can take. And I usually give it to my clients and my students, at least introduce it to them about how do we make decisions based on situational uh, challenges that we're confronted with. Do we avoid this? Do we accommodate? Do we compete? Do we compromise or do we collaborate? Now, Danny Schneider and I, our, FO, our FOD, we're friends of Dan. He and yeah. I played high school football together. And Ooh. so that was extraordinarily competitive for us, you know, because that's a competitive sport. But here's the thing. My natural organic style of managing conflict as a person and as a professional has always been compromise and collaborate. Okay. It's always been that. Now, okay. there are situations as part of the playbook that you might avoid a conflict or accommodate if the stakes are not that high. And there may be times that you have to compete uh, and be, a, you know, what I call as a disruptor. Okay. And, you know, one of the things that really helped me understand that, Sandy, was that when I was in public school, junior high school, high school, college and law school, I was always in student government. So there were times that I would have to be a change initiator and be a disruptor because of the conviction I had about a particular issue. And so as long as you pick your spots, because if I was always known, and I'm 6'2", 290 on a light day, you know that because you yeah. know me. So, you know. That's the bouncer. <laughs> but right. There you go. And our buddy Tracy Westmore, if Tracy's listening, hey, Tracy, what's up? Um, Tracy, we would, oh Tracy, I know, Tracy, right, Sandy? That's a whole nother ball. I know, I know. There. It's all good, sister. Trust yeah. and believe. I love Tracy. <laughs> yeah, oh, I know, my I God. Too. We were communicating. I, I want to see that guy ago. again when I go to New York. Yeah, know? well, we were just communicating a couple of days ago, so let's make that happen. I, I, he's just so fun. I love that. Hey, he, he is, he is. And just imagine me, him, and Danny in high school together. No, uh, playing I Playing high school football. No. I know. I know. I can't. It must have been so much fun. It was never the same. And, and think about the diversity and inclusion 
You guys are so three, so different. I mean, so different. Tracy's Irish, Danny's Jewish, I'm African American. I mean, and that's why Parkway High School to me was one of the best experiences for me. Just really understanding how I first created a foundation for my diversity and inclusion, uh, if you will, level of understanding. Uh, It was just understanding these different nuances of how we all wanted to get an education, but we also wanted to serve and we also wanted to go on and do great things and and that was really things that drove drove us to do uh, wonderful things together and it's not even you know the fact that you know the obvious you do it's your personalities too are so different and yet you all get along that's what blew me away yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and the fun and the friendship and all that that's all there okay so now we got the next one this which it's so funny this person says some reason all the employees keep coming to me with their drama he said she said blah 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 i don't want to look like i don't care but how do i control the situation so they're all coming to this person with situations like he said she said johnny did this billy did this what are we going to do and the gossip and they don't want to look like an outsider but they're not sure how to control the situation, and they're new at this job. They've only okay. been there six months. All right, so here's the thing. There, there are a couple of suggestions I would make. Number one, uh, you praise in public, you give feedback in private. So whenever you're having these conversations, whether they're gossip, rumors, just make sure it's done in, in a private space. Number two, at a certain point, the person has to push back and say, you know, I appreciate you sharing this information with me. I really have a hard stop on a project I need to work on. Just push back a little bit because, you know, what will happen is a new person will come in and it's only natural uh, for whatever fiefdoms or divisions that take place for them. Each camp wants to create an ally. And I think that person just has to be what I call as the AOR, agent of reality, and just say consistently to all these stakeholders, you know, I want to be your colleague. I really want to concentrate on my deliverables, get my job done. You know, I don't want to pass judgment on anyone or anybody. Uh, I just want to coexist in this environment and we can breathe the same air. And I think if you can candidly say that to someone, yeah. they'll appreciate and respect that. You know, I, basically, I'm not choosing sides. Yeah. I mean, I'm here as a third party. I just started. I just want to, uh, if you will, coexist and be colleagues to everyone. Yeah. And understand that we have a job to do, and I want to be laser focused on making sure I execute strong deliverables for what I was hired to do. Oh, I like that. I hope they like that answer. Well, thank uh, you. Well, yeah, <laughs> the, sure. the initials Absolutely. are SB. I think that's really great advice. So here's one, Arthur. Without telling us names or dates, what has been one of the most difficult situations you were ever put in? To mediate? Uh, no, I got one uh, that really a test of me understanding and reading excerpts from The Art of War, which I often quote Sun Tzu. And he said, the smartest strategy in war is being able to achieve your objectives without having to fight. True. What it basically Difficult, means, but true. Yeah, strategy and tactics. So there was a period in my career when I had a a director, and I was working at uh, a job kind of early mid-career, and my director actually uh, at the annual performance review 
uh, indicated or presented or articulated that I was uh, performing below expectations. And there was an opportunity for me. Of course, I was somewhat surprised, but again, you know, prepared because mm -hmm. of, you know, the lane that I've traveled through. You, you're never surprised at certain things. So there was an immediate opportunity for me to appeal. The person got extraordinarily upset, and I was able to sign under protest that I did not believe in these findings. And the appeal process, which was a 30-day period, allowed me basically to uh, essentially respond or rebut what was being presented about my character. Oh, and I've always wow. been taught that character is important. So, of course, I put together a 16-page rebuttal, <laughs> dates, times, and places. Yeah. And I substantiated and corroborated my body of work and eventually went to the vice president and my rating was changed. Wow. You know, wow. And so I think the moral of that story is always understand uh, CYA, cover your assets. Yes. <laughs> your biggest asset is your reputation, your veracity, yeah. Yeah. Uh, your integrity. And so I was prepared because I kept tremendously good, going back to what you and I talked about earlier, Sandy, uh, about the handshake deal. Yeah. I kept these really good, uh, if you will, documented records. Good for you. Uh, where I memorialized this paper trail. And had I not done that, yeah. I would not have been able to rebut what was being presented about me. But that was probably what author Theodos Matthews calls an IPOH, which is also copywritten, an intense period of heat. So mm. that was one of my intense periods of heat. And yeah, personally, yeah, because that was even, woof. Right, that's right. about you, you know? Exactly, exactly. So I was prepared for it. I responded to it. And, you know, sometimes those things happen. And uh, in the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. You know, that Albert Einstein said that many years ago. So from there, it actually kind of catapulted me to do some other wonderful things at that organization that I was at. Uh, so what about, has you have you ever been... A mediator that you walked in and thought, holy moly, how the heck am I going to resolve this? Has there ever been a really difficult one that didn't involve you personally that you're like, I don't yes. even know if I can do anything with this? Oh, yeah, I mean, think about it. And, and again, uh, just a shout out to my colleagues at the EEOC, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, uh, Michael Brady, uh, David Ryman, and, and all those folks uh, that really, really make it a wonderful agency and organization. I mean, whenever you're mediating cases that involve Title VII, Sandy, which is an allegation of discrimination based on race, color, creed, national origin, veteran status, disability status, mm -hmm. sexual harassment, those are the kind of cases you walk in and say, wow, this is a big one. But I think in the final analysis, your training comes in, uh, your understanding of emotional intelligence, your understanding of the mediation process. You know, making sure that you are consistently demonstrating civility and respect, just understanding the mediation playbook and continue to be authentic in the process of mediation. Uh, you know, in those instances, I mean, not every case settles. Let me be very candid about that. Okay. But, you know, at the EEOC, we settle about 70, 75 percent of cases that come to mediation. And well, that's I always good. say it's great. You know, yeah. and I I don't really do family law cases. I've never done that. I have colleagues that do it. But from the lane I've traveled in with my partner, Evelyn, uh, we would say Title Seven cases that involve discrimination are the toughest uh, we've ever seen. Mm. So 
when you get in your car, like, are you different there? Do you keep it together and then get in the car? Do you ever, like, just shake and go, I can't believe that just happened? Actually, I don't. I mean, I know that people that do. Because, I, yeah, I would. I'd be like, oh, my God, don't let them see you sweat. Don't let you sweat. And then I'd get in the car and I'd probably be like, ah. Yeah. No? Well, and, and again, I think because of the uh, my journey, my sojourn, and, and some of the things that I've seen, experienced, uh, it, it's... And I'm not saying um, it would take a lot to rattle you is what you're saying. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I've always had, you know, I, I can't remember the last time I raised my voice. I mean, I am when you think about mindfulness and just centering, I I think I, I try to maintain that level of calmness because, you know, I realized that when, you know, I was 12, 13, 14, you know, I had a bully that would, uh, Often I had a paper route when I was in Queens. And so, you know, and there was a time that, you know, he decided to pick on me the wrong day. Well, it took like six kids to get me off of him because. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. So I, and I, I always made sure, and that was 50 years ago, that, you know, I would never get myself to a level like that because I can really hurt somebody. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. not my intention. I don't want to, yeah. you know, hurt anybody physically. So. I always try to maintain that level of calm and, if you will, and uh, and just, just usa, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do you do to release stress? Do you do any physical activity? Do you meditate? Do you listen to music? Like, what's your outlet? I meditate. I listen to music. Uh, I'm a big sports fan, so, you know, what relaxes me a lot is watching sports. And, and for me and Evelyn, uh, you know, we like a plethora of sports, so... Uh, you know, we'll, we can watch easily a women's basketball game. Uh, we can watch uh, uh, some tennis. Uh, we can watch uh, some gymnastics. Uh, oh. It doesn't have to be the major sports like football, baseball, basketball, if you will. We're kind of non-traditionalists when it comes to sports. Uh, so that really always calms me as well. And I like to, to really read. And again, be- becoming that lifelong learner to try to understand better you know, the purpose that I have for being this professor, which is really my predominant, that and the facilitator. Uh, in my business, facilitate, present, articulate, pontificate, navigate, levitate, negotiate, all the above. I don't know how, you have so many acronyms and stories and parables. How do you maintain them in your head? I'm like sitting here blown away going, <laughs> he's just like rattling these off. Yeah. Well, I just have a lot of spare time in my hands, Sandy. I don't think so. I don't think so. All right, Arthur. Well, listen, we could talk forever, but before we go, is there anything that you want to go over that we didn't get in today? You know, I just think the biggest thing, Sandy, is just inviting everybody that's part of the podcast today to think about their own journey. And first of all, I want to celebrate them because obviously because they're on your podcast, that means that they're trying to expand the leadership footprint. Well, that's and, true. That's and I true. think the best way to epitomize at the end of this podcast, uh, exactly how I'm feeling about your listeners and the people that are on this podcast is something that Maya Angelou said many years ago. She said, we must celebrate and recognize the contributions of our sheroes and heroes. So I just want to thank them for their leadership and also applaud them and say salutations, adulations, and congratulations for their willingness to have a podcast as a way for them to learn more. And so mm. kudos to them. That's a good point. 
Good for that. I never even thought of it that way. But you're right. They're seeking knowledge, or they wouldn't be listening. Absolutely. So how can they reach you? How can they find you? What's the best way? I mean, we're going to post everything for everybody, but how would you okay. like them to Absolutely. Get a hold well, of my email address is diversity officer, diversity officer at AOL.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can also find me on LinkedIn, Arthur T. Matthews. And if they want to reach me at NYU, uh, really easy. My initials are ATM, mm-hmm. Arthur Theodos Matthews, ATM1 at nyu.edu and yeah i always as you know sandy i always convene panels and colloquiums and i have guest speakers come in and you know i just really enjoy academic discourse and conversation and dialogue and also collaborating yeah Uh, and and of course you know one of the things i've been doing more is i've been honored and privileged to be able to travel doing some of this work globally and last summer uh, and I'm not sure if you and I even talked about this. I was in China for the whole month of I, July. You, you mentioned it, but we didn't talk about it afterwards. How well, was that? It was game-changing. Was uh, it? Absolutely. It was, was absolutely game-changing. I was in Chengdu uh, serving as a visiting professor, and I've also traveled to Bermuda, and I've been to Panama and Mexico and the Dominican Republic doing lectures and mm. been honored and privileged to do that. And realize that the domestic United States is wonderful to do this work, but also one of the things, and I'll say this, I know we have to finish up, one of the things that really challenges me from a leadership standpoint is really understanding how do I increase my leadership upside and become really an ambassador, yeah. if you will. Yeah. You know, and, and part of being an ambassador is understanding globalization. And I, I teach a course at NYU called Leading Global Organizations. And uh, I talk about that. How do we expand our yeah. footprint and our tentacles across state lines? And just encouraging folks that are part of this podcast uh, to really start to create opportunities for cross-cultural competence and understanding the ebb and flow of different individuals that might be different. I, you know what? I, I've been fortunate enough to travel too, but never like to stay somewhere for, like you said, a month. I mean, you really get in there. Yeah, and that's how I first went to Arkansas. You know, I lived there for six months working on a project, did not know one person in that state. And now, you know, we have a home there, and I've been uh, very much connected with what happens in Fayetteville, Arkansas, because I went there to help some workers that were losing their jobs, and I just wanted to make a difference. And that also was a game-changing experience for me. Yeah. So you went there, and you had no idea you were going to be there. (laughs) Well, I went there. I knew I'd be there for six months once I decided to take on the project. And yeah. it was perfect for my background. It involved yeah. law, public policy. Levi made a tough decision. They had to downsize thousands of workers. And they needed someone in Arkansas Ooh. to oversee that project. And I Ooh. worked with some union members that were being downsized, right-sized, and capsized. And to their credit, Levi Strauss kept them on salary for eight months and gave them $6,500 to start businesses and for child care and elder care. It was an amazing project, uh, and I'm still in touch with folks today that were part of it. Really? Yes. I mean, I and that mean, was Jim, 20, 22 years ago, 23 years ago. I mean, that's a big thing when they're laying off all those people, and you have to deal with that. That's that's yeah. huge. And my firm does that. I mean, that's one of our sweet spots as well: workforce development, helping organizations that are announcing a reduction in force. Mm. And 
what's needed in terms of helping those workers, not only the survivors, but also yeah. the folks that are being downsized. That, that is tough. I don't know if I could do that. That would be really tough. Yeah, I'm sure you heard work. all the stories, you know? Oh. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, author. Well, it's been a pleasure. I really, really appreciate you taking the time out to share with my listeners. My Let's Keep It Real people, I think you're going to say that Arthur definitely kept it real. And if you have more questions or things we didn't get to, please send an email to podcast at sandyjoyweston.com. And until next time, you know what I'm going to say. Toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.